we are an industry that is dominated by major players. And the reality is that 95% of what we see on the high street, what we call fashion, what we call clothing, is deeply problematic and not sustainable. There is nothing in the word fashion that tells you that it should come with exploitation of people and nature. Fashion is one of the biggest industries in the world. With around 150 billion pieces of clothing made each year worldwide, it's huge business. But it's also an industry with some huge problems. According to the Royal Society for Arts, Manufactures and Commerce, the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of global carbon emissions, projected to rise to 25% at its current trajectory. And at this point, we're surely all aware of the poor treatment of workers that some factories and brands utilise to their benefit. Despite this, we're consuming more than ever before. The amount we spend on clothes has grown from £15 billion in 1998 to £60 billion in 2018, even though we don't really need it. Nearly a third of the average UK household's wardrobe goes unworn, £30 billion worth in total. When I talk about the disconnect between what we know and how we behave, I'm definitely not excluding myself. My name is B. I'm in my mid-twenties, meaning Topshop was the absolute pinnacle of fashion for me as a younger teen, and I then experienced the boom of fast fashion e-commerce sites at around the same time that I was in a university, exploring newfound freedom. As I got older and had a bit more cash to spare, I started pivoting from the classic fast fashion retailers like Boohoo or Pretty Little Thing to what I thought were better choices, not realising that lots of these brands were owned by larger corporations and potentially deploying similar tactics, just with better PR. And I've definitely fallen victim to feeling the need to buy a new outfit for an event, or just because I'm tired of the options I already own. For someone who is aware of the problems within the fashion industry, it's definitely contradictory. I want to take a closer look at this industry, an industry that prioritises profits over people and planet, and why we continue to overconsume despite the ever-increasing arguments against. How did we get here? What is the true impact of the fashion industry? And in the face of clever marketing tactics and social media pressure, what can be done to stop it? When talking about fashion, fast fashion is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, despite being one that's never been that closely defined. I spoke to Josie Warden, the head of regenerative design at the RSA, to find out how she would define the term. The fashion industry has really changed over the last half century, and particularly the last 20 years, where there has been this huge boom and increasing speed in the amount of clothing that we're producing and the speed at which we're producing it. So whereas retailers would have a couple of collections a year, now we're seeing these kind of micro collections where they're coming to something new every week. The kind of rise in synthetic fabrics has been what's enabled a faster fashion system than we've ever had before. And within that, there is then also this ultra-fast fashion, which is the kind of often the web-based retailers that are producing at even lower prices. But luxury fashion can't be absolved of the role it played in the creation of fast fashion. If luxury had truly been democratic at some point in time, as they tried to be when they started doing the diffusion line, we probably wouldn't have had fast fashion in the first place. 
Ursula de Castro is the global creative director and co-founder of Fashion Revolution, alongside Carrie Summers, the world's largest fashion activism movement with a presence in over 90 countries globally. Founded in 2014, their aims include an end to human and environmental exploitation in the global fashion industry and an end to throwaway culture, to name a few. We're looking at an industry that created this elitism, this you against us, and that in itself was problematic. Because, you know, if you can't afford to buy something that you really, really cherish and deeply want, inevitably somebody's going to be exploiting that gap in the market. And they did so with bells on. A diffusion line is a secondary line created by the more luxury designers, which is sold at a slightly lower price than their usual collections. And I really do mean slightly. The cheapest handbag I could find on the website of Miu Miu, a subsidiary of Prada, was still £520 and was just 11 centimetres long, not exactly fixing that elitism. We have an industry that has designed itself as being exploitative of people and nature for over 200 years. Fast fashion wasn't in existence. Fast fashion is the result of the greed with which this industry was founded on. So we berate it because it is the symbol of our stupidity, but it is the child of the fashion and textile industry, the clothing industry, which allowed it to happen. Fast fashion has rightfully gained a poor reputation when it comes to its environmental and human rights record. But it's important to note that just because certain brands have a bad reputation, it doesn't mean that those who don't aren't behaving in similar ways. A New York Times article from March 2020 looked into a factory in Mumbai whose workers were earning a few dollars a day in a room with caged windows and no emergency exit. And who were they making products for? Luxury brands, including Dior and Saint Laurent. And in 2018, Burberry came under fire for destroying £28.6 million worth of product rather than have it be sold cheaper and risk devaluing the brand. So it's not always the case that higher price points lead to better practices. However, when it comes to the problem of overconsumption, prices will definitely have an effect on the sheer amount of clothes that people are able to buy and how quickly they're discarded. In order to discuss the role that we play when it comes to the fashion industry, it's important to make clear who we're not talking about. Kalkadon Legessa is the founder of ethical fashion retailer Sancho's and circular fashion platform Schwab. I asked her why she thought people were still shopping in unsustainable places or ways. Some people just don't know. I think that group is shrinking. Some people know but don't have the resources to apply. This group of people you need to not focus too much on because their impact is probably not proportional. And then there's a group of people who have the knowledge, have the resources and are still choosing not to. A lot of advice for sustainable shopping can exclude many groups. So-called sustainable brands still don't always cater to plus sizes and are often at a price point that entirely excludes low-income people. And shopping secondhand can carry its own problems. Not everyone has the time to take a trip to a charity shop and trawl through to find something decent in their size. The problem here is not people who are unable to shop in other places. The problem is an industry that continues to exploit people, resources and the environment for profit and encourages overconsumption of their products by those who actually have the resources to make different choices. This is where organisations like Fashion Revolution come in. We started with a really simple question, who made my clothes? We anticipated that the majority of brands didn't have a clue. 
The lack of knowledge from brands about their own supply chains has been starkly highlighted by Fashion Revolution's Fashion Transparency Index, an annual report of 250 of the world's largest fashion brands and retailers, reviewing the information they disclose about their practices across their supply chains. Just a quick look through the 2021 Fashion Transparency Index showed that just 47% of brands disclosed their manufacturing facilities. And in a shocking but sadly not unexpected statistic, just two out of the 250 brands disclosed data on the number of workers in the supply chain who were paid a living wage. Without that accountability, we can't really shop in a way that is correct for the planet. Transparency doesn't necessarily lead to best practice, but it leads you somewhere. It's asking brands to be clear so that their consumers can understand them. So that when you're shopping for a pair of jeans in the future, it will be automatic that you would look for your size, but you would look for how much those people that are making those trousers are actually being paid as essential information before you make your purchasing choice. The fashion industry relies on 98 million tonnes of non-renewable resources every single year. And so it's just as important for brands to be transparent about their environmental impact. Because we're still not always getting the full picture. Some people are saying that fashion has a bigger impact than the aviation industry if you take into account the whole supply chain. So it's a huge, huge impact, but it often feels very removed. So the UK government, for example, don't see fashion as a big sector that they need to look at because the kind of emissions often come offshore. So where things are produced and where the materials are produced are not generally the UK. But it's important, I think, that people begin to consider the embedded emissions that are in the things that they buy that may happen elsewhere in the world and that actually we should be seeing ourselves as responsible for that as well. You'd be forgiven for thinking that simply looking at the label in your clothes can tell you exactly where they've come from. But as I've now come to expect with the fashion industry, it's not always so simple or transparent. In a 2017 BBC report following the lifespan of a dress from Zara, they found that while the label read Made in Morocco, the fibres were spun into yarn in Egypt, woven into fabric in China, dyed pink in Spain, cut and sewn in Morocco before heading back to Spain to be packaged and sent to retail shops across 93 countries. Our clothes have a long journey to go before they arrive in our wardrobes, and it's often further than we might ever have imagined. The big link when it comes to synthetics is that they are generally fossil fuel derived, so oil and gas. And so when it comes to climate change, obviously we know that we need to be winding down the extraction of oil and gas because they are the things that are driving climate change. But at the moment, the fossil fuel industries are seeing fashion and plastics and also plastic packaging, but as a a growth area, they are areas that could be good markets for them in the future. And I think it's really important that we make people aware of that link and recognise that actually when it comes to winding down extraction of oil and gas, fashion does have a role to play in that. A paper co-authored by Josie titled Fast Fashion's Plastic Problem discovered that on average 80% of items listed on fast fashion websites contained new plastics. This was as high as 89% for fast fashion brand Pretty Little Thing, where you can buy items for just a few pounds each. And while Josie did find that three quarters of people wanted to see fewer plastics and petrochemicals being used, the lack of transparency from brands is making it hard for consumers to make those changes. 
there is a big awareness gap in the public about the volume of synthetics that are being used in fashion. So although lots of people are saying they're trying to reduce their plastics use in general, so that's things like plastic packaging, only around a third of people are saying that they regularly buy clothing that has synthetic fibres in it, which we know is a kind of mismatch with what's the amount of synthetic fibres that are actually out there. The awareness gap is a real part of this problem. There's no point in shaming people for shopping fast fashion when so much of the information is hidden. Even something as supposedly simple as looking at the label to see if the fabric contains plastics can throw up some issues. Because if you don't know your lyocell from your polyamide, making informed choices can be really overwhelming. When I look through the fast fashion items in my wardrobe, I can see now how many of them contain plastic. But it's not something I even thought to look at when I originally made the purchase. A lack of transparency makes things especially hard when you bring something like greenwashing into the mix. Greenwashing is when companies use marketing to describe their activities as more environmentally sustainable than they practically are. And the danger is that it changes the goalposts for everybody because instead of effective change, what we're really then doing is just marketing differently. If the goal is sincerely to be more sustainable, then you wouldn't try to change the goalpost. I think you'd be trying to uphold them. A 2021 report by the Changing Markets Foundation found that out of 12 of the biggest British and European fashion brands, including ASOS, H&M and M&S, 60% of their environmental claims could be classed as unsubstantiated and misleading. H&M was highlighted in particular. Its conscious collection was found to contain more synthetic materials than its main collection, with labels on many items failing to reveal what percentage of these materials were actually recycled. So even when people are trying their best to shop better, it's still the brands who are willfully misleading us. Shalise Nicholas is the founder of Madia and Matilda, a zero-waste clothing label who create items by upcycling surplus fabrics from across the country. I can only imagine how frustrating it is watching these huge brands with all the money, resources and power that they wield attempt to pull the proverbial wool over our eyes while you work hard to be sustainable. It's annoying because there is so much work that goes into working this way and being sustainable and making sure that every single step of the process is edited and make sure that we do things the right way. So for larger brands who are already established, they've already got that voice. And it's not easy. We have to go and find things the longer route. It's more challenging to be sustainable. It's about ethics, really. If that's what you want to do, then you've got to do it wholeheartedly and properly from the beginning. The way clothes are produced is only part of the problem. The sheer amount of items that we're buying needs to be scrutinised. So across the world, clothing consumption has more than doubled between 2000 and 2015. So it's a huge upward trajectory of the amount of clothing that's being produced. And at the same time, the usage of our clothing, so the number of times that we wear it, reduced by almost a half in that time. That's where I think this sense of kind of throwaway and disposability comes in. The UK does have a particular challenge in that it has the highest consumption of new clothing in Europe per capita. But it does seem to be something specifically happening in the UK around how much new stuff we are buying. UK consumers buy on average 26.7 kilograms of clothing per capita per year. And the problem is, it's not just the consumption, it's what we're doing with it afterwards. According to Euronews Green, the average consumer throws away 60% of new clothes in the same year that they were bought. And where do these clothes end up? Well, of fast fashion items, three out of five pieces will wind up in a landfill. 
We have to be careful not to place the blame entirely on the consumers. This is just as much a problem of overproduction as it is of overconsumption. Of the approximately 150 billion garments produced a year globally, 30% of that is literally never sold, with another 30% only being sold at a discount. And while reading the latest transparency report, I discovered that just 14% of brands disclose data on the quantity of products, also called units, made annually. I was curious as to what they might be hiding. The one about disclosing the units is the one that really bugs my brain each time. No business can function without that information, so why on earth not make it public? Because they're embarrassed? Because it shows the madness of a system which is both corrupted in terms of the kind of social practices and the environmental one. Accumulating money is wrong when it comes to the CEO of these brands, but accumulating products that will never sell is just as wrong. So what we are doing is that we're basically selling stuff in order to make a few people very rich when we know that that stuff is never going to sell in the first place. The ever-updating trends and products are definitely putting the pressure on us to keep buying. Gone are the days of the collections four times a year. Brands are updating their websites with new products all the time. In fact, fast fashion brand Shein, now the largest online-only retailer in the world, brags on its website that it drops over a thousand new products every single day. The speed that these brands make clothes and the price point allow them to hop on the fast-moving trends that are pushed by social media sites. I could find multiple dresses on Shein for as little as £2.49. Rabia is a slow fashion content creator on TikTok and Instagram, but she's also very open about the fact that it hasn't always been this way for her. Ever since I was 16, I had a job and all of my money, every payday was on clothes. And before I knew it, every payday, I was just buying, buying, buying. I started to feel really overwhelmed by shopping and the amount of stuff I had accumulated and the amount of stuff I was bringing in. Over the past kind of six, seven years, it's been a slow journey, which is why I think when people say, we should all just quit shopping and no one should shop ever again. If someone had said that to me six, seven years ago, I would not have stuck to it. And I think I would still be a shopaholic. It's been shown that even the anticipation of reward, so something as simple as putting an item in our online shopping basket, can cause a spike of dopamine. I've even found that waiting for a parcel to arrive is more exciting than when it actually does. So Rabia is right, it does sometimes need to be a slow journey to break that cycle. We're following these bloggers who have a new outfit every single day. And so because we're always surrounded by this newness and people that we follow buying something new makes us want to buy it as well. And brands know how to exploit this, having influencers not just promote their items, but be the face of them. See Molly May Haig, influencer and runner-up of reality show Love Island. She's now the creative director of Pretty Little Thing, the brand we mentioned earlier as having on average 89% of their products, many available for just a few pounds, containing virgin plastics. It's also owned by another fast fashion brand, Boohoo, who came under the microscope in 2020 when it was alleged that workers in one of its suppliers' factories in Leicester were being paid £3.50 an hour and working in unsafe conditions. Because of social media, trends are just happening extra quick. So you see a blogger wear a new dress from a brand. It could even be a small sustainable brand. You see it on all of the trendy bloggers 
and then everyone goes out buys that dress you don't see that dress again a week later and then no one wants to wear it because your favorite blogger is no longer wearing that dress if we're still over consuming these clothes the companies are not going to be able to keep up with the demand they're going to have to start overproducing and then we're going to be exactly where we are right now so yes where we shop is important but equally i think not enough people are speaking about our own mentality to how we consume and how we've been overconsuming and changing that mindset as well is crucial a key example of this came in the form of what became known on social media as simply the house of sunny dress if you're intrigued, Google will know exactly what to show you if you search that phrase. A green three-quarter length dress from sustainable brand House of Sunny, which went absolutely viral in July of 2020. First, every fashion blogger had it on. Next, Kendall Jenner had posted it on Instagram. And before we could blink, it was the must-have trendy item on social media. Even Vogue labelled it as the cult dress of 2020. A lot of these small sustainable brands were collaborating with influencers that were promoting overconsumption and they were promoting new clothes in every outfit post. And, that, and to me, that just didn't mesh. I just saw a lot of these small sustainable brands working with people who weren't advocating for slow fashion. And then in turn, that then turned the House of Sunny Hockney dress into a trendy item. Because that item, I'm assuming House of Sunny made it to like last many years and last many seasons. But people then saw it on these trendy bloggers, bought it, wore it once. And then because they didn't see it again, they didn't wear it again. As seems to be the way now with trends on social media, the hype didn't last for long. Dupes of the dress bought from sites like AliExpress and Amazon were already cropping up in charity shops before some people even had a chance to receive their original. And before we knew it, the dress had joined the ranks of many trends before it as it received the TikTok kiss of death, the dreaded label of chuggy, essentially out of fashion or uncool. There are some things that can be done if you want to participate in the trends but are trying to curb your consumption. Buying just a few items of a trend rather than a whole new wardrobe is a start. And I've personally found that waiting a few days to think about it before pressing buy can help you identify the products you do really want. In fact, you may have even found the trend has already passed on. But while examining the way we buy and wear clothes is important, we also can't forget that we wouldn't be able to consume in this way if it weren't for a system that has allowed it to happen. With fashion, it's almost like the ultimate representation of the kind of current economic model that we have. And actually, it's been called by various people kind of capitalism's favourite child because it has this drive for newness built into it. And we've been told over the last half century or so that progress in our life is tied to our being able to buy and acquire new material items that our value in society is related to how we look so even though individuals have a sense of like i want to do something and i want to support the environment better actually all of these structures around you are kind of often in small ways that you don't notice pushing you down this route of like it will be better if I buy something new, I will feel better about myself. There is a challenge when the solution is posed as individuals making better choices, because really the power is, is less in that individual hand and more in the kind of structures that surround us. So I think whilst it is important that people make changes themselves, ultimately it has to be a shared responsibility across individuals, across business, across governments, and that's why action is needed on all of those fronts. It's absurd that the decision as to like whether people should be paid fairly rest on the hands of just individual business people. Because of course, the incentive isn't there. The incentive is to lower 
the cost to return as much profit to your company's shareholders as possible. So if the call is on either individual businesses or individual people to make a different choice, I think there's huge room for getting it wrong. So yes, we should definitely be thinking about the role we can play in reducing our personal consumption. But as Kaugadan says, it's hard to know where to start. And again, it's not as simple as voting with your wallet. The exploitative models chosen by businesses to maximise profits will continue to exist without a massive overhaul of the industry. Yeah, so we in, in the report recommended uh, that the government explore a marketing ban on new plastics in clothing. The challenge that we're seeing is particularly when it comes to fast fashion, the kind of huge volumes that are being produced and they are very much kind of pushing that pushing marketing and pushing people to be looking at consuming more. We need this to be something that is really looked at in the public domain. Another potential option was a tax on new plastics in fashion. It's trying to kind of push businesses, kind of create an incentive for businesses to change the way that they're uh, producing their clothing um, and to really provide also some income to look at investing in new technology and, and infrastructure around better recycling because that is a big challenge at the moment. There is a huge amount of synthetics already out there. They're not going to go away. At the moment, they're mainly ending up in landfill or incineration. We also really want the government to, to generally be taking this a lot more seriously. And part of that is introducing extended producer responsibility. So this is where the, the brands who are making the clothing have a duty of care and responsibility for what happens to that item throughout its life. The trouble with lots of fast fashion clothes is because of the speed they're made, they can start to fall apart quite quickly. And without that extended producer responsibility, it comes back down to us as the consumer. But according to research from sustainable fashion brand Thought, 25% of us were choosing not to repair clothes because it's simply easier to buy something new. There was also a knowledge gap, with 33% of Brits not even knowing how to sew a button back on. So it becomes even more vital to have clothing repairing options for those who can't or don't have the time to learn. Shalise, who we heard from earlier, has alterations and repairs available in-store at Madia and Matilda. Being able to get something fixed, if you know that you've got a few things, it's just got a tiny hole or you've got a pair of trousers which you can't use because the zip's broke. Having that repaired and then it being able to be used again saves it from going to landfill, saves it from being wasted and you get to love it again. And I think that's what it's all about, it's being able to reuse what you once loved. When we reopened after lockdown, the first thing I saw was a bigger influx of people coming to get things repaired. I think during that time, people have been reading up you know, they've had that time to think about it and, and reassess what's important. And I think that's where we're seeing the change. And I think that in the future, there will be more people thinking more sustainably and shopping more sustainably. This change over lockdown seems to be a trend. According to a McKinsey & Company survey across the UK and Germany, as a result of the pandemic, 71% of people were planning to keep the items they already have for longer. And 57% were willing to repair their clothes. So it does seem that we're starting to see a shift in our attitudes towards our wardrobes. But how can we keep that ball rolling? How do I see the future of fashion? Radically, radically different. Basically, if in five years' time I'm still asked these questions, then we have all failed miserably and me first. First of all, all brands slow down. All brands really skilling their supply chain workers and all brands paying those supply chain workers fairly. And obviously an industry that doesn't exploit resources but becomes nature positive. The big brands will take years to change while many little brands are there already. We also need systems and not just clothes. 
I want every single fast fashion brand to provide cheap repairs in their stores. The cheaper the product, the higher the responsibility when it comes to the brands to make it last a long time. We need to make sustainable choices available for people who haven't got the finances to either take the time to learn how to mend themselves or pay somebody to do it for them. It needs to be cheap and available on the high street. And learning from what we did that was right, from those pockets of dignity and, and where fashion really has been a glorious manifestation of our culture and eradicating extraction and exploitation. As Ursula says, fashion has an important role to play in society and has done for a long time. So at the end of the day, instead of waiting for businesses to change, it's about reframing the way that we think about the clothes on our back. Fashion has always been a way of showing ourselves to the world. Our style reflects our personality and it can also be a way to showcase our values as well. Fashion is like really great because we get to express ourselves with it. But if people really learn more about themselves and their style and what they want and how they want to live, I think the desirability of like chasing trends or fast fashion really vastly reduces. And I think that in the same way that we see these huge like atrocities and injustices in the world outside, in our external world, I think there is something happening in ourselves. And I would welcome listeners to just think really carefully about the clothes that they feel best in and try to make sure if they are buying new that they're meeting that same criteria. As individuals, we do have a part to play, as we do in so many things. There can't be full structural change without businesses and governments doing their part, but our money is valuable and we do have a choice when it comes to who we want to be able to use it. We're not going to be stopping buying clothes anytime soon, but that doesn't mean there aren't things that can be done. If you do have the privilege of having a certain amount of choice in where you shop, you can make sure you're making the best decisions by checking the Fashion Transparency Index or the website Good On You. When you're browsing, look at the product information section to start familiarising yourself with the names of various fabrics. And, where possible, we can think twice before clicking buy. Because as it turns out, all that we need to do is pull the thread a little harder for the whole thing to begin to unravel. The Stitch Up was presented and produced by me, B. Duncan. It was mastered by Ben Williams. This is a Broccoli production.